Hi, everybody, and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Chris Sacknesson. Chris, how are you doing this Tuesday afternoon? I'm really well. It's my birthday today, and Happy it started birthday. off... Thank you so much. It, it's a beautiful day, light breeze, perfect conditions, got a really great swim in uh, beneath the mountains overlooking the lake. Uh, I've got a plug for my textbook. It's doing well. It's starting to get traction. A guide to creative writing and the imagination out from Rutledge Press. But any support is much appreciated. Reviews really uh, help a great deal and also I'm going to do something that I've never done before and David and I haven't done before. Uh, this is episode 107 I believe. Isn't that right David? That, that is correct. Okay well I want to call your attention to, uh, well I'm very excited about what we're going to roll out in this uh, show but next episode 108 I am going to roll out a new tool that I think is one of the most exciting ideas I've ever had. It picks up on some of the discussion points David and I touched on in our personal derangement syndrome episode last week. My uh, derangement syndrome has to do with the impact of wokeness on standards in academia and the whole nature of the curriculum uh, in American higher education. And I think I've come up with a solution. Uh, it's certainly uh, a good remedial strategy. Uh, and I think it's worth looking at just on its own. What I'm particularly proud of is that I think it makes sense to people who are entirely without a college education. And yet, it could be the framework for uh, a full-on major at the university level. I'm very excited about it. Next episode 108 and we're going to do something different with that episode. We'll leave it up for a month and then I'm going to ask David to take it out of circulation because I think this tool is so special we want to put a little bit of urgency on people tuning into it. So we'll give you a month to catch up with it. We know people are busy. We know it's summertime. But this is uh, an idea that I'm very proud of, and it came to me while I was swimming. Uh, I think swimming really releases the mind. Um, and there, it, it also ties in with a couple of other really fun extensions, exercises. It's a program. It's a really cool program idea that anyone can understand. It's just a question of applying the discipline of working it through. Um, so there's some fun stuff coming up for next episode. Pay special attention, please, because we're going to not make that as available just because of the specialness of the tool that I'm going to run down. Uh, so that's my sort of news. Yeah, good good start to the day here. Fuck yeah, I'm, I'm stoked on that. That sounds... Uh, for listeners, I don't know what it is that Chris is talking about, so it will be <clears throat> a surprise for me as well. Um, over here, Rios and I spent the weekend in Austin, Texas. I think that Austin is a fantastic city. It feels like five cities in one. There, I went to an HEB, almost ran over a pineapple. 
there were palm trees. I had the LA vibe. There is definitely the Portland vibe of coffee shops and millionaire bicycle enthusiasts in full lycra butting up against each other. Um, it was hot as balls all weekend, but um, just a really lovely, angular, uh, multi-tiered, richly historical city. Uh, went to the art museum there and saw some great pieces uh, by some of my favorites like Leonore Carrington and uh, Carlos Merida. They had some really cool pieces up there. Got to see a bunch of friends. I visited with my friend Lucas, my friend Kelby, uh, with Jack from one of my favorite podcasts, The Perfume Nationalist, uh, Gordon <laughs> White from Rune Soup, and at that meeting, I ran into, in the flesh, listener uh, Ryan was there. So oh, I cool. Came over and said hi, and we chatted for a bit. He's a great dude. He's a really personable and fun to talk to but he was down there from st louis to participate in some energy healing workshops that gordon was holding that he said were quite intense um and something that i'd like to get into at some point uh it's a great city i'm i'm past the point though of having wanderlust to the point of wanting to live anywhere but where i actually live now i enjoy visiting i got bamboozled by Portland <laughs> I've lived in El Paso for a while and none of that really felt like home when I got back to Edmond, Oklahoma I felt okay, whew, the, the roads here are straight, this is a very suburban uh, area that was built in the 1970s there isn't, very, there isn't as much history uh, in Ed, I mean Edmond has been around since the late 19th century but the place that I live in is relatively new in the grand scheme of things the drive down to Austin took me down 281 from Lawton, Oklahoma, through Wichita Falls, through Jacksboro. Uh, we encountered the town of Hamilton, Texas, which is, if they don't make a horror movie in Hamilton, Texas, they should. The whole city is a corridor of churches that culminates in an enormous, uh, for the town at least, museum and cultural center that has these bizarre mall portrait framed pictures of lions and sunsets and uh, glamour shots from the 80s of people that have been blown up to plaster the side of the building. It is by far the most unsettling. I wish I had taken a picture of it because it's one of the most unsettling things I've ever seen. It just feels so wrong. It feels like something that you'd see in a 80-year-old Mexican woman's living room, but blown up to cover the entire side of a building. Um, and finally, uh, the, 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 the little diamond that we found in the middle of nowhere, Texas, was Mineral Wells, um, a lovely little town that is overlooked by this very ominous and imposing hotel called The Baker that has been abandoned for, built in 1922, 450 rooms, a mineral spa on the second floor. They've recently, the city of Mineral Wells has approved a $65 million renovation project to turn those 450 rooms into 160 with, you know, reopening the spa. And when I heard that, uh, you know, I thought, you know, this hotel has been on ghost adventures and ghost hunters. 
a haunted hotel with a mineral spa in the middle of nowhere, Texas, could not think of a better place for a writer's retreat. So perfect. Might, perfect. might work something out with that. Might might put together a team. But uh, I like it. It was great. It was great. It was great to be away from the kiddo for a few days. Uh, it was good to be out with my wife. We went to a few clubs, had some drinks, uh, encountered a six foot tall uh, black drag queen uh, who was built like a linebacker. And it was the most alarming feeling that I've ever had to, to realize that, you know, this woman could essentially chase me down and rape me if she wanted to. Uh, <laughs> never had that feeling before, but good time overall. Fantastic. A very good report. Well, you have your words, five I from do. which yes. to choose two. I'm about to give you your uh, imaginative challenge, which is very challenging this time, but I'm going to introduce uh, a very simple two new features because I thought I needed some imaginative challenges. So I'm going to give myself one for every week. Um, it's easier ones than the ones you get, much easier. Uh, every week I'm going to offer uh, a possible name for a band of some kind. A name and then a brief description and then I'm going to I, I love aphorisms I think it's a great literary form I think they're they're beautiful I think it's a good challenge for everyone it's part of the discipline that uh, I run in my classes it just it's it's a good fun challenge you know you, sometimes you miss but if you do it all the time you're gonna come up with some interesting thoughts and you're gonna jog your mind in a way that you know wouldn't happen otherwise so quickly my band name for this week is Overbite. Overbite. <laughs> and their gig is a little bit hard to sort out because they are on the surface like a classic, you know, older style heavy rock band like Def Leppard. But their lyrics have a weird, super woke quality to it that is in total conflict with the headbanging music, such that you can't really pin down to what extent they're enormously earnest about what they're singing about, or if it's just a total send-up takedown. So mm -hmm. that is Overbite. That's my first I love it. band idea. And here's my aphorism, which I recommend to everybody. If it quacks like a duck, and it isn't a duck, you could have a problem if you're a duck. <laughs> so that's my start. That's and great. now, are you ready for your challenge? You're going to have to do some stretching on this one. Okay. Right, let's go. Yeah, All right. This this is perhaps the greatest world uh, story art form there can be. It's the fairy tale, and I'm going to give you three elements that you have to include. Why three? Because it's more than two and less than less four. Less than four. Your first element is a Rottweiler, a dog, a Rottweiler with loose bowels. Your second element is a plumb line, a plumb line, you know, a weight for uh, getting uh, levels and, and lines. 
The plum bob itself, though, this is a beautiful piece of jewelry, actually. The plum bob is made of an almost priceless piece of fire opal. Okay? And the chain is perfectly fine spun gold. Your third crucial element, the protagonist, is the most beautiful woman in the world. So beautiful she's become as she's grown up. She distracts everyone to almost the point of catatonic paralysis. Her pride, as she's gotten older, she started off as a very sincere, innocent young girl, not knowing how beautiful she was. But her pride in her beauty has made her abuse her gift. So the secret presenters, the secret presenters behind the world blind her until she finds either true love or returns to her original self. So you're going to fill in those details with a improv fairy tale at the end of this segment. Any questions? No, no questions. Good okay. one. Challenging. Very challenging. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, all right. Okay. On that note. Would you like to talk about today? Last time we had a really great discussion, one of our best, I think, about our own personal derangement syndromes. There has been, on the drive down to Austin, the news landed that that leaked Supreme Court document was in fact uh, accurate. Roe v. Wade was overturned, which caused much consternation within the car on the way down there. Um, well, and then in a few cars, in a few few city streets, and yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I talked to my buddy Shermaine, and he was he was talking about the conversation that he had with his wife Aparna uh, about this this very thing, and it was spooky that it echoed precisely the track that Rios went on. <coughs> um, so Is this affected? Go ahead. Well, is there anything there that you want to flesh out in terms of... Uh, yeah. I think it's worth fleshing out because, uh, unfortunately, with something this uh, volatile and incendiary, for, for either rightly or wrongly, it is, uh, it, it's very easy to caricature people's uh, reactions. So perhaps mm-hmm. it would be good just to flesh out that just the conversation in your car, if nothing else. Right, right. Well... Um it basically, it went from, so Shermaine and I are obviously, we're both married. Uh, him and his wife have two children. I have one. So the conversation, uh, the first reaction from both Aparna and Rios was, we need to leave this country. We need to get out of America, right? Uh, which both Shermaine and I stayed quiet during the conversation. There was a, there's a theme of the of the men in these relationships staying quiet, which I think is great self-preservation. Uh, because <laughs> the, 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 when you're trapped in a car with an angry woman, uh, even if she's not angry at you, you're the closest thing. So you've got to tread very fucking carefully. So we basically, uh, we both stayed quiet um, for that, but both thought privately, uh, where else are you gonna go? Aparna, in particular, is from Sri Lanka, 
and they are in the middle of a two-week gas freeze. You can't buy gas there. Um, there's nothing but uh, civil unrest and general chaos. Um, there are there are places to go, but it's one of those things where you kind of quietly listen, and then you think, yeah, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm not I'm not moving out of the country. The second thing to move on is uh, the idea that a group of white men are uh, really interested in controlling women's bodies, right? Again, this is something that you stay quiet about. You don't say anything. But in my head, I thought uh, the Supreme Court that, co that, well, they didn't codify Roe v. Wade, but that, that sort of passed it were all white men. This Supreme Court is a little bit more diverse fact there's a black man and a hispanic woman and um so i'm not really sure about the white men angle on the whole thing and i'm also when it comes to abortion uh i don't i don't like the the kind of argument that it's about men trying to control women's bodies because i think it obfuscates what it's really about and it's the thing that the pro-choicers of whom I am one, I am pro-choice, don't want to address, which is, no, it's about killing babies. It's about uh, one group of people believing that it is morally wrong to abort a fetus, uh, because that is tantamount to killing a baby, right? So just putting all your cards out on the table, calling the spade a spade, uh, I think it's important to do that. So we moved from moving out of the country, white men want to control women's bodies, and then the third thing was, you know, Republicans don't care about kids once they get out of the womb, they just want to protect them up till that point. Uh, I feel like there's some truth to that. I do feel like there's some truth to that. I think that we as a country, uh, we don't do enough for orphans, uh, for unwanted children. Um, I think that it's a great... One of the best uh, arguments to be pro-choice, actually, is that if you're not going to be a parent, uh, it's maybe better to not have the child at all. I think that's a, a really compelling argument. So it was those three, those three pillars, I think, um, that uh, you know I understand my wife's frustration. It's not something that directly affects us or me because. Um, if she were to get pregnant again, we've already decided that she would keep the child. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a major thing, and it's going to cause a lot of hardship for a lot of women, especially in the South. They're going to have to travel to get this procedure done. Um, and overall, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I definitely uh, sympathize with and, and feel the uh, the frustration and the anger and the feeling of a lack of bodily autonomy that we brought up last episode um, it sucks it's it's not okay like it I do believe it is your body your choice I just you know I extend that to vaccines as well <laughs> but uh, but yeah rough rough time out there for the ladies.
Okay. Uh, well, there's a lot to respond to there. Uh, first of all, I, I too am uh, entirely pro-choice and always have been, uh, so I, I do regret this decision. I think that some light can be shed on it from a few different angles. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, the, the current Supreme Court uh, is very much uh, a more diverse uh, body than it has been. Uh, there, you know, there's certainly some female perspective there. Uh, secondly, I think what's often forgotten, you know, by the left is the very powerful uh, amount of uh, female contribution to the pro-life demographics. I mean, that is thank you. Yes, that yes, is uh, I left both. That out, but that's so important. It's 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 you know qualitatively uh, identifiable, but certainly quantitatively as well. Very very powerful influence there, which I think is is often forgotten. Uh, here are a couple of other thoughts. I I think that there are a, a, a few states which you identify in the in the South primarily, who will face some problems. People there will face some problems. I, I suggest they may be facing some problems on many fronts uh, there. I don't think that the practical realities of, of this are going to be anywhere near as dire as uh, no. what people are talking about. I'm not no, suggesting that is an argument against the anger about it, but I think that uh, when there is a level of uh, less than rational anger, that it's fair to put up a few rational points. And I think that there is going to be less uh, damage done by this than, than many people are supposing. So some of the anger is, is purely rhetorical. And I think the Democrats are trying to fire up a, a very, very dubious uh, political position for the midterms in terms of this. I think there would be some people, honestly, in the Democratic Party who would be very pleased by this and would think that they would have been given a, a plank to hang on to uh, rather than drown in the current moment. So I think there is that. Um, ironically, though, that could put the Democrats in the position which they have always resisted of being called the abortion party. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how they strategize this to, to their presumed advantage uh, and how real that, that advantage is in the, in the context of the worst inflation in 50 years, the highest gas prices ever, soaring crime in the 10 major American cities, a border crisis. We've just had nearly 50 people dead uh, in an abandoned tractor trailer in San Antonio, 103 degree heat. Uh, you know, there, there's a whole uh, nexus of things going on. But I, I did wonder, you know, we talk about dissonance and uh, the, the strain, like taffy being pulled, you know, and the brain just comes apart. And I did wonder if, and this is no, no news, this has been brought up, you know, in the media, but I, I think it's worth really hammering home. Isn't there a problem with fundamental women's rights, such as reproductive health, when our leading officials cannot define what a woman is anymore. I just find that an unacceptable uh, paradox, schism, 
breakdown in logic and continuity that I feel just has to be addressed. I mean, if you can't define a woman, and I, I don't understand where that position has really come from. Uh, it, it seems just uh, a little bit insane to me um, because it doesn't accomplish any of its purported goals. I think that the goals of, of supporting for instance, trans people, I think could be done perfectly well without having any confusion about that word. And I don't know if we have a problem defining uh, women, we must have a problem by definition defining men. Uh, the idea of a species kind of hinges on that, you know, that duality. It's not a binary opposition, it's a duality, male and female. <coughs> so I wonder, you know, how can you have a coherent plan of supporting women's rights when the very definition of what it means to be a woman is in doubt. There, there was a tweet recently by Verso Books, which Verso has done some good work in the past. <clears throat> I don't know, they took a hard left turn at some point, but this tweet got a lot of traction because it's about uh, the sterilization practices performed against Native women in the 1970s. But the tweet says, in the 1970s, up to 50% of native wound carriers were sterilized against their will by the Indian Health Service. Stripping our wound carriers of their ability to have children is the continuation of over 500 years of misogynistic violence against indigenous peoples. So wound carriers really rubbed people the wrong way. <clears throat> um, because, yeah, what we're having a real uh, fundamental difficulty with with terminologies here and i just feel like there's like you said i mean it feels like there are ways to do this without completely throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak um <laughs> i had to laugh at that yeah yeah no pun intended um no. but uh yeah i mean i could i could see that I don't know. Maybe it's much more simple. Maybe we are, uh, you know, maybe we're the ones who are confused and overcomplicating these things. But it does seem to me that there's a, a kind of Olympic race involved in a lot of policy making now online where people get bogged down in pedantry, essentially. Uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I want to agree with that, uh, but my fear is that it is more than just uh, wordplay. I think it really is, 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 is deeper than that. It, it's not very deep. It's certainly not deep intellectually. It's not deep in terms of intelligent, you know, critical thinking. But it's deep in terms of those values that we were talking about last week, those airborne uh, belief systems that people are allergically susceptible to. And that is more serious than, than just the labels of the time. The labels are the manifestation of, of much deeper shouting matches and the, in, you know, in sort of metaphorical terms, the ideological junior high school cafeteria food fight of today, you know, that's, that's how 
they're manifested. And there are a lot of weird, you know, word things going on. I mean, I, I have nothing against uh, the Planned Parenthood institution, organization. I worked at one at one point. I was a groundskeeper, and uh, there was a guy who I worked with who was there full-time, and he was an albino dude named Dave, and he, uh, he had some kind of brain injury uh, that had affected him. He was a little bit slow, but a very nice guy. He was part of uh, a, a Pentecostal church, and one day he told me that it would be good not for me to go to come to work because he was he had heard rumors of some sort of demonstration. This is in the days when you know the, the hard right were vandalizing Planned Parenthood and stuff. Now it's kind of reversed the other way. But I mean think about that name Planned Parenthood because it's I mean I know they provide other services and I really do respect them. I've had uh, not friends directly, but, but friends with close family and friends who have worked in the organization. I respect what they do. I wonder about the name Planned Parenthood because it seems very unplanned, you know? It seems like more like the emergency solution to what's going on. Um, but I wonder if what we're seeing is a time in history where intersectionality isn't really working, that various interest groups are in competition for media attention, political clout, and there's a showdown going on. Uh, I mean, we've got an interesting one on the gun front now. You know, this was another major Supreme Court decision. and I think, again, the media blew up the real implications of it. I don't think it, in fact, is as major as it, as it sounds. But it was seen as a pro-gun, uh, therefore pro-Republican uh, victory uh, brought down by a conservative Supreme Court. All of that, I think, is a little bit simplistic. But, you know, the issue is, well, where are we when more black people own guns? And I can right. tell you, a lot of black people own guns. I don't. Sure I do. don't. I don't know. And I'm talking very, le- you know, completely legal, uh, professional, mm-hmm. business yeah. people, university professors, small business people. We're not talking about anything, you know, below the legal limit here. These are American citizens with the right to bear arms, and and they do. They're just African American. And now there's this sort of liberal thing about, oh, well, hmm, if, and, and it gets even stranger because if you go to the gun stores around where I live, you see unmistakably the number of women, 28 to 45, who are arming themselves. And, 22s and 45s. You know? <laughs> and uh, I just, you know, and there's this thing like, oh, well, maybe, you know, how. How does the woke liberal handle that, you know, if women and, and black people are arming themselves? As if they aren't already, you know. Um, so there's that. And then I was thinking at the same time, you know, I just, I think the headlines do tell us stories. The number one movie, Maverick, the reboot of Top Gun. So you've got nostalgia, patriotism, structure, 
you know, value, belief, you know, it was all, well, it, it was a, a big, big hit and certainly uh, not a woke hit exactly. And then it gets knocked off by Elvis. So you've got, these are the blockbuster movies of the moment. You've got this conflict about guns and who the real gun owners in America are. And then I think you have a a, a really quite an exaggerated, uh, in practical terms, an exaggerated take on what the implications of the Roe v. Wade decision will be, how that will actually play out. Although I completely understand uh, the anger and the anxiety about that. Um, but it seems to me there's a lot of intersectional shouting, jousting for priority. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I guess you'd say that the abortion issue has the greatest overarching potential. Uh, and has taken priority, but I'm not sure it has, you know? I think that in my spheres, it has certainly dominated. I think that this is an issue that the left and Democrats in general are always going to run up against because, well, Republicans aren't innocent of this either, but it was common for me growing up with my father, who's always been a Republican since Ronald Reagan, to say that Democrats have a difficult time with reality. They have a hard time figuring out what reality is. <clears throat> I always thought that that was a euphemism to explain away Republican conservative cruelty, right? If you boil things down to its simplest element, it becomes uh, the survival of the fittest type thing so we can just you know forget all about poor people or marginalized people and i think that the way that i thought is an oversimplification but a pretty good understanding of how the left thinks in general right they think you know well it's we we can't we can't just boil things down to their simplest elements uh but yeah the overcomplication leads to this kind of whining competition between different groups and you can't really walk and chew gum at the same time you have to figure out what to do uh, first and there's just a real the wheels are starting to come off of the whole left liberal project because the right has a much simpler message which is we would like cheaper gas we would like the the borders closed Uh, we would like abortions to stop all the way, you know, no, no, uh, no real, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Concessions, you know? And so it becomes easier, I think, to understand a Tucker Carlson over a Rachel Maddow because you, you get what a guy like Tucker thinks about things. It's, it's hard to figure out what the left, okay, so you're anti-gun, but you don't want cops around anymore. So somebody's going to have to have guns, and so what? <laughs> and Yeah, it's just a mess. It's just it's a mess. mess. It's a mess, right? Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that it's just basically, I, I definitely sympathize with the left's uh, intentions, but as we've said on the show before, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and it's just not, nothing that they really do seems to be adding up 
You know, I, I'll put it this way. Whenever I see uh, or read a, a left-wing article, uh, I always get to the end of it and I'm like, so what do we, what do, we do? You know, very, very little in the way of answers, but a kind of constant circular firing squad of complaints and whining that doesn't really seem to go anywhere. Well, I think that is, uh, you know, a perception that's there to be had because I think that uh, there, there's some truth to it. Um, but here's the thing that gets me about uh, the Roe v. Wade decision, and I know it's hard for people to get to this this level to see through the the emotional layers. Uh, and I'm not saying that there aren't a lot of other issues involved, but it really is quite clear that the Roe v. Wade legislation wasn't robust enough to really stand the test of time. It, it really was about the question of federal authority, which so often becomes bureaucracy, waste, federal overreach, versus states' rights. And I mean, I think that there are, you know, New York and California, there's gonna be no difference whatsoever. Seattle, no difference whatsoever with this leg legislative change. Uh, and I think there might be some people who are thinking about moving out of Louisiana permanently. Um, but the, the notion that the federal government should be determining everything down to the very local level, well then the question is, well why have any local political representation at all? What, why have anything? Let's just, let's just turn it over to Big Brother you know, and let that, let that roll. And that's the problem I have, you know, I, I just, there was a little boy in, with his mom coming into a Walgreens at one point. This goes back a ways, I don't know, I can't, I think, I think it was before COVID. But, you know, he said, mom, if, if you don't trust the government, why do you want more of it? Mm. And I thought, damn me, if that, I'm gonna vote for that kid, you know? Yeah, right, um, right. I, I really think there is a major, major problem with this bigger and bigger government, uh, bigger and bigger payrolls, bigger and bigger uh, war chests full of money to go who knows where when we're already so deeply in debt. I mean, there's a fundamental, you know, if, if, if your dad's idea of the Democrats having trouble with reality, I think it starts with money doesn't grow on trees. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let, let's start there for one thing and not just completely lose our stature internationally by being so in debt. You know, we're in debt to Mexico, for God's sakes. Come on. Yeah. Right. Come right. on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I had a friend explaining how the economy became this runaway trade because uh, he's pretty heavily involved in real estate. And my question was, why, why do rents keep going up? And to sum it up, in short, it's exactly what you're talking about. He said there was a, a big problem happened when COVID hit and they shut down the economy and they had to print a trillion dollars to, to keep things moving. He's like, essentially, that fucked everything up. And now it's this kind of runaway train of prices increasing, uh, building, slowing down because the cost of supplies, copper, wood, uh, is going up. So it's more costly to build. So the... You know, the supply that we do have left is getting uh, eaten up by companies like BlackRock and Zillow and things like that. And the prices of rent 
it just continues to go up. So my question was, would rent ever go down? And he says, yes, but it would be a recession and life would be very difficult for other reasons. So a less expensive rent would be not really the consolation that you think it was because it would mean that a lot of other things had essentially gone wrong. But I think, yes, I think that you nailed it uh, there. Uh, the, the, the money, the, the whole thing like, I'm socially liberal but fiscally conservative, uh, that cliche seems to be, coming, be becoming more and more true as I get older. Because if you want to talk about simplicity, I've boiled down my politics to something very, very simple. Uh, I would like cheaper gas. That's it. I don't know anything else. I just want cheaper gas. Well, that's a very good starting point. And, you know, that that opposition of uh, fiscal conservativeness versus, you know, socially liberal. I mean, Frank Zappa put that into beautiful, you know, uh, a beautiful frame a long time ago. Because that's certainly how he described, you know, he, he was. He was in favor of small government and a free market approach to the economy and and philosophically but he was very you know obviously very out there and and very inclusive and welcoming on a lot of the key social issues and he always asked the question well how did those get how did those even get into the political sphere you know because it doesn't have to work that way but on the other hand i think that the onus is also on the left that if they're going to uh frame themselves first in terms of uh, social liberalism. They're going to have to still reconcile and, and balance the books financially and also not mean that everything is government wherever you turn. Because um, it's, it's weird, you know? I mean, it, it can be really good for the economy in certain ways when, when there are a lot of government jobs. It's great for security. Uh, it's not so great for other sort of things, though, you know? And Everything is connected. So if you get one little, you know, it's like what you're saying with the rents. If you did get some rent relief, well, you know, it might not be so good on another front. You know, that's the nature. That's the complexity of the world that we live in today. But it behooves all of us to try to pull apart some of the issues that are truly politics, truly economics from the social frames. Because social frames are not so easily legislated anyway. You can't legislate to make people more tolerant. You really can't. You can, you can think you can, but you're really just creating more anger, you know? Yeah, and more resentment. Problems. Yeah. That's what we've seen in the past 15 years, right? I mean, we've, just, we've seen people just get angrier and angrier uh, because, oh, I'm so glad you said that. I've said that so many times in conversations with people where I'm just like, you, you can't legislate people to be nice to each other you just you simply can't and i'm sorry that that's the way that it is that we live in a world with a bunch of goofy nasty people but it's it just makes everything worse <laughs> you know as soon as you try to start like putting into law uh like don't be a dick laws basically you can't you can't have them people have to be allowed to be assholes and hateful well, and the other thing that we, we need to remember, and even intelligent, educated people start forgetting this, is that when we hear of, of interests, when we hear from various segments of the total citizenry, 
we are often not just hearing from the media with certain commercial uh, interests to push and individuals within that with their own barrows to push. We are hearing from lobby groups, from mysterious financial institutions that are often total gangsters. I don't know how many of our listeners have ever dealt with serious professional lobbyists, but make no mistake, I mean, Washington, D.C. in America may have some of the heaviest hitters and the biggest bankrolls and the greasiest, greasiest track records. But every state capital, every single one has that in microcosm and to an almost maybe more intense degree. So we are talking about a level of barnacled graft and corruption that makes a lot of organized crime seem completely straightforward. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I was listening it's to gooey. A, it's gooey. Yeah, it's gooey. I was listening to a podcast about TRM Howard, uh, who was a kind of a, a precursor to the civil rights movement. He, you know, he inspired Martin Luther King and people like that. But the, the podcast was about mutual aid societies in the South before the the New Deal and the Great Depression. Um, and I was listening to that. And uh, I was listening to that and I was just thinking to myself, like, you know, these are obviously going to be hubs of total corruption as well. But, uh, you know, I wonder if they don't work a little bit better than a large impersonal government laying down the law like a lot of these societies uh were akin to the masons where you kind of join a social club and get access to cheap health care and you know local services and things like that and i'm just i'm wondering if that kind of graft and corruption is just an inescapable element of human societies but in the case of a mutual aid society for example it can be kept local and maybe even slightly more accountable than you, you ever uh, have a problem with your phone bill, and you call you call up to say, hey, what's this charge about? And you end up talking to somebody who's getting paid twelve dollars an hour to, to field your questions, and you can you can never get to the person who charged you the fifteen dollars to begin with. So there's there's nobody really to yell at. Uh, that's kind of like the the problem in micro. Right. That's that's the issue that we're. Kind of yeah. Here. Yeah. There are too many layers, too many layers and, and not enough accountability or transparency, which only happens at the local level. It, it may be uh, a little bit metaphorical local now because of technology and distances and things. We're not saying that that you don't you know you don't have to be speaking to someone who's literally down the street. They might be in Iowa. They might be in India for whatever. But if someone taking charge and saying, "Look, this is the the issue," and and I will either listen to you. Uh, and dismiss your problem, or I'll listen to you and solve your problem and thank you for your business, you know? Some some of that kind of, of responsiveness. But now there are so many ways to avoid responsibility. There are so many ways to hide uh, graft and corruption behind good intentions. I mean, look at the, the, the problems that Black Lives Matter, uh, they're, are just, they're, they're only just beginning, 
you know, some serious class action lawsuits for fraud and, and, and uh, deception. So, I mean, it's unfortunate, and maybe there is something in human nature that says once an organization reaches a certain size critical mass, you know, then, then the barnacles start, you know, the bottom feeders start get, you know, closing around. And, you know, I think some of our celebrities have said that, you know, you hit the big time and suddenly you got all these hangers on, you know, you got this big house and you walk around and you think, who's that, who invited them to the party, you know? Yeah, who's you know? asleep on my couch? Where did all my cocaine go? <clears throat> yeah, so some of this is, is just the, the, uh, the way things go. I think the problem, though, is that when uh, one side sees only corruption on the other side and isn't looking at within their own ranks of going, oh my God, those people are just snakes, you know? And if there were a little bit more fairness about that, but I think that's a problem for us as citizens to peel this back and realize that not only are our politicians influenced by financial contributions and they're kind of bought and sold sometimes by corporate or institutional masters, but all of the spokespeople, the real PR mechanisms, uh, the politicians aren't writing their own speeches. I mean, I at one point was writing speeches for the, the premier of, of the state of Victoria in Australia. You know, that's the governor, you know, that's the equivalent of that. Um, and they were vetted by a few people, sure, but I mean, it was weird to, to sit and watch him on TV. Uh, and it was a very strange I, I didn't get a buzz out of it at all I was kind of really always anxious is he going to blow a line or it just it was very stressful but the idea that any of these people speaking or representing are in fact representatives is just nonsense there are layers and layers of unseen shadow puppet masters who you know aren't masters at all they're just fumbling around too you know mm -hmm. But well, why we would want me. more, you know, why we want more of that is, is, is the big question. Philosophically, a bigger government, more puppet masters, that's my concern to end on. Yep, I'm there with you. Well, I'm looking forward to next episode. I feel uh, very excited for this new groundbreaking tool that you're going to give to us. Um, I'll, I'll be wondering what that is all week. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that brings us to my challenge. Yeah, fairy tale time. Fairy tale time. There once was a girl, the most beautiful girl in all the land. She didn't know how beautiful she was until she did. And then she began to use her powers for evil. And the secret uh, puppeteers decided to blind her until she could complete a task for them, a task that would make her truly appreciate her beauty for what it is. So she has been tasked with creating two replicas of the Twin Towers out of pebbles. Mm. And she's meant to use the, the plumb line to get it perfectly vertically straight. And once she has it perfectly vertically straight, she is to reenact the 9-11 attacks using the plumb bob as 
the airplanes crashing into these towers. Oh wow! She, okay. So she works. She works on these these for years, and as time goes by, she begins to forget what she ever even looked like. And people pass her by, and they ask her for favors. In fairy tales, we always do this in threes. Why three? Because it's more than two and less than four. Uh, so people pass her by, you know, a woman passes by with a small child and asks her if she has any food that the child can eat. And she says, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm way too busy. I'm way too busy. And then an old man passes by and he asks her if she has some water. And she says, no, I can't, I can't help you. I'm far too busy, far too busy. And then another man walks by with a Rottweiler with absolutely explosive, uncontrollable diarrhea. And the diarrhea <laughs> begins to spray all over her, all over the Twin Towers. Her art project is covered in shit. And the man says, please, for the love of God, help me with my dog. I, I don't know how to make him stop doing this. I have no idea what he ate, but it just won't stop. So, in a moment of quick thinking... In a moment of quick thinking, our, our, our beautiful princess takes the gorgeous oh, no. opal plum bob oh, no. and stuffs it up the Rottweiler's ass. And as oh, soon no. as she stuffs it up the Rottweiler's ass, the secret puppeteers return her sight to her because she really she had to learn to forget herself and forget 9-11 and focus on what was right in front of her, which in this case was shit rocketing out of a dog's ass. The end. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have to say, I had a little, I just had a little glimmer of a little hint, a little trembling in the web, and I thought, is he going to go there? Is he going to go there? Uh, <laughs> look, I, I think that was masterful. That was very enjoyable on, on many levels. Oh, dear. Thank you. Oh, dear. Okay. And I enjoyed Overbite. I liked Overbite a lot. I feel like uh, I'd probably put them on Spotify. I'd check them out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I got more. I mean, so I, my channel, I'm going to roll out a band name, a possible band name, different genres, uh, and an aphorism every time. And mm -hmm. then you do have, a, 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 I think, what will be a really interesting tool to rock out next time and and we might we might spend sort of more time breaking that down because i think it is a perspective that we can all engage with today and we really need to it it, it would work in a formal academic setting but i think it's much much bigger as i said i think anyone can understand this even young children uh mm -hmm. it's it's a big project so uh but it's simple simple conceptual but uh, are we are we ready for for this week's tool? Yeah, let's hit it. Okay. Well, you know, sometimes I think we should bring back the phrase "jive turkey." Lobster pot traps in corkscrew plants employ downward pointing hairs to force prey deeper into the trap. You can't hide a donkey in a wood pile. Fair deals are harder than hen's teeth to find. No free lunches. No prisoners. Let the good times roll. Okay. Fantastic. Now, you know, what I was thinking of, and this is my challenge to people, there's a beautiful Latin phrase of a non sequitur. 
you know? A comment that is not in sequence, that is not coherently connected to the conversation, non sequitur. A lot of our thinking is based on this linearity of thought. And David and I are really trying to break that up into a more multi-dimensional or spiral approach. Things coming in at different layers. I mean, imagine if your vision, for instance, were really, really fixed on one plane. It would, you'd go insane and you'd die. You need depth of field and we need depth of field conceptually and linguistically. I challenge people to try to speak in complete non sequiturs for as long as they can. And I think what you will find is it's not that easy to do that we start to build, inherently build in structure. You know, everyone goes, oh, we can't teach grammar anymore because there are lots of different kinds of grammars. Yes, but there is an underlying principle of grammar which underlies and overarches all languages. A basic structure of the mind. And we come back to that very quickly. It's very, very difficult to speak complete non-sequitur nonsense for very long. You start making sense. You right. really do. Right. You, you really, really do. And I think this is a way to also re, uh, revisit our thinking about the word salad montages of supposedly schizophrenic people. There's a lot more structure in the world than we give you know, credit. We're always afraid of structure and authority you know, because this is, you know, it's fascist. You know, no, it's not. It's actually really important. It's how our bodies function. It's how the world works. Structure is, is really, is very, very handy. But it's very difficult to get away from. In the same way, if you try to move your body completely spastically, go crazy, you know, thinking like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a kid again, you know. You start to fall into pretty, you know, you either hurt yourself or you pretty quickly start performing repetitive movements. There is a structure. There's a pattern. Structure and pattern are very closely related. It's very difficult to act completely at random. So we need to give up the idea that those limitations are bad. And to start playing around with how we, we can improvise within them a bit more fully. That is a trick. But yeah. let's start with language. And I challenge people, try to give it, you know, even a minute of continuous speaking that has that rhythm of actual speech that, that retains a kind of syntactic integrity but is completely lacking in semantic coherence. And let's be clear on that difference between syntax and semantics. I'll leave people to chase that up themselves. I think our listeners understand that. But it's, it's interesting to me that non sequiturs, nonsense, is, is actually not that easy to achieve. Beautiful. I was thinking, it reminded me of the movie Pootie Tang, came out uh -huh. 20 years ago with Chris Rock and uh, written by Louis C.K., the now disgraced Louis C.K. 
and its lead character is known for speaking in complete gibberish nonsense, which is not, it's not non sequiturs, it's just nonsense. But that's still one of the funny things about that movie is that by the end of it, the nonsense kind of begins to make sense. You, you kind of start to get it. It really pulls off a, an interesting magic trick. It's a very stupid film, but it's also very funny. And, and That's very a good reference point. I hadn't thought of that for a while, but I remember exactly what you mean. And I think that is important. It is a kind of magic trick, and it's a magic trick that we should you know, really check out again because it has a lot to do with the frames of sense and nonsense. Just think of that word nonsense, the complete categorical dismissal. It's not like a gradation. It's not like a spectrum, you know? It's, well, it's just total nonsense. No, there's no such thing as total nonsense, really. I don't think so. Uh, and I think it's very hard to achieve. It's like the totally random, you know? Really? Huh. I'm not sure about that. But that is something that we should really... Because we, we need to listen and explore more deeply the nature of structure and how mm -hmm. thought and language gets organized because we are so embedded within it we take it completely for granted so any kind of aerial view we can get would be helpful excellent okay well here's a tip for this week and this is a very practical tip it's an extension of my blindfold work but I really, really recommend it. If you live with someone, a partner, it's, it would be very helpful if the partner would assist in this. But you probably face this you know, every time there's a laundry done. But have a bundle of clothing, different kinds of, of items, t-shirts, shirts, pants, you know, different things. Have them all turned inside out, okay? So you at least start with that as a given, but maybe not all of them, okay? So have a few things. It helps if someone sets you up for this and just hands you some. So some of the things are inside out and some of them are not. In a totally darkened room or blindfolded, now go about the prospect of turning them inside out mm. or properly, you know, back to what, you know. Uh, it's very tricky to do because, of course, some articles of clothing are very easy, you know, pants are sort of easier to do than that. But a tank top, you know, I got this one tank top and it's like the little, any little clue is gone now, you know, and I, I have to really feel closely for the ribbing. And the ribbing isn't that much different. And it really gets you thinking about, again, one of the giant duality or oppositions inside versus outside oh my god he's wearing his pants inside out i mean think of that as a social behavior in the world you'd worry about something like that or you'd think they're trying to make a statement is it intentional i mean if you live in a senior community and you see someone doing that you think oh dementia if you see an 18 year old with blue hair doing it, you think oh they're just they're you know they're rebelling you know it's very weird, but inside and outside, when we start looking at those really giant, mysterious, huge oscillations, then we're starting to get somewhere. Because they're so big and so pervasive, ubiquitous, that they become invisible. And we just are completely puppeteered along, and we don't even know we've done it, you know? Don't even know we've done it. 
So, okay. Uh, well, the dream this week figures into this sort of. Uh, uh, this is actually uh, because I keep strict dream records. I have to say this is a pretty. Uh, it's not entirely unique in in decades of dream recording, but it's almost. It's very significant for me. Very significant. Um, there was one interesting image which was disconnected. I was confronted with a giant aquarium which had a sunken trailer park within it. Pretty good sized tra you know, trailers. And the fish were swimming through this sunken trailer park. I thought that was kind of a beautiful image. But here's what made this week's dream stand out. I managed to salvage some direct language I had my uh, phone right next to the bed. I had it teed up for voice memos and completely groggy, not at all opened eyes, still very much really in the dream state. I managed to recall what I think is kind of an odd little uh, mini poem to some extent. Ooh, okay. Suddenly, I saw with elephant gun snapdragon clarity that I am just a jukebox from the other side of the sun. Hmm. I love and that. I had, you know, and I, I was just, I was so grateful to be able to, you know, harvest that out of the mist, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was just thinking it was kind of good I was sleeping alone on that occasion because I think that would have been a little bit weird because <laughs> I yelled the sudden I'm on my phone the suddenly is like wow what? <laughs> it's like I'm trying to wake myself up enough to sort of make sure the phone's in my hand and I'm speaking into it but that's the first time in quite a while quite a while that that level of language and, and some sense of meaning has been fully salvaged Beautiful. I love it. I think that that will do it for this episode. Uh, ooh, really hyped for next week. That's going to be awesome. So I'm stoked about that. Um, any parting thoughts before we go? No, no. Uh, I hope people really do tune into that. Uh, I am going to ask David to take that out of, of circulation after four weeks. We'll give people a chance. <laughs> But we will keep that in the total mix, and we will, in our next, uh, we're almost finished with our first volume of the Psychic Defense Manual. Uh, we hope to have that coming out, you know, somewhere maybe around the end of summer. Bit of work still to do there, but that will be exciting. Uh, but next week will be really uh, something to, um, to listen out for, and I'm, I'm really hoping that we get some uh, some response about it because I think it is a it's such a, a, a big idea but it's also a very simple idea and I'm very proud of that I'd like to th keep you know uh, things as unpretentious as possible because it's fun to be pretentious in certain uh, <laughs> certain contexts but mm -hmm. but not in this and I, I think this will be a, a good place for us to begin to build the interaction David and I want more uh, more community building, more contact, more involvement, more feedback from you. Uh, we also are committed to um, our Zoom guest program. 
Uh, people may recall our first guest was Grant Walmack, writer, martial artist, and professional tarot card reader. Uh, we, Dave and I both really enjoyed that. We got some good feedback on that. Well, we have two very interesting women lined up, very different professional backgrounds and orientations, opens up a whole other level of, of discussion. And yet, in both cases, uh, they connect with some of our uh, deep ongoing themes throughout the show. So there's a lot of excitement. We know people are, are you know, hopefully enjoying summer despite the gas prices and the chaos and confusion. But uh, we are very focused on what we're doing and uh, trying to roll out more and more cool stuff. Absolutely. All right, folks. Till next time. Okay. Take care.